0: hello and welcome to the being well podcast from black dog institute and the e-mental health in practice project i'm jan orman and this is part of a series of podcasts that we've developed based on our regular webinars both the webinars and these podcasts focus on aspects of mental health and ways in which we can use online resources in the context of mental health care Just recently, we hosted a webinar about social prescribing. You can view that webinar on demand on the Black Dog Institute website, but this podcast will give you a potted version of the conversation I had about social prescribing with my expert panellists. Social prescribing's a bit of a buzz topic at the moment, but we've discovered that a lot of practitioners don't quite understand what the term means, let alone how to do it. In a nutshell, social prescribing is about connecting people with community resources that might benefit their health and well-being. As it turns out, it's actually not very hard to do, and the benefits are impressive. Before we continue, I just want to pause for a moment so we can acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and pay our respects to the Elders' past, present and emerging. Professor Catherine Boydell is an expert in arts-based translation of mental health research into practice. She finds ways to use the arts to communicate evidence-based research findings to health practitioners and the community at large. I asked Catherine how she became interested in social prescribing.
1: About a year ago uh, at Black Dog, we had a design thinking workshop. And it was focused on thinking about redesign of our clinic, our depression clinic specifically. And we had a facilitator come in and we had all of the stakeholders that you might imagine who were interested in blue sky thinking, what might an ideal clinic look like? And I left the end of the day um, really thinking about what the main messages of the day were and really what the ideal clinic encompassed was a focus on holistic care the social determinants of health, um, you know, uh, housing, finances, the interests of people that contributed to their mental health and well-being.
0: So we're talking here about a mental health clinic that doesn't just make diagnoses and write prescriptions and make referrals um, to other health professionals. We're talking about a clinic that takes into account the whole person. Catherine also revealed her own personal experience of social prescribing from 25 years ago.
1: I went to see my GP. I was um, a mum of three daughters under the age of five, and I was stressed out beside myself, and my GP handed me this script. Um, This woman needs a dinner out with no babies attached. I think it just highlights... um, the the need to think beyond the medical system at times when you're presented with a patient. And um, this this physician certainly knew what I needed. And I did take him up on that uh, script.
0: This is very cute, isn't it, to write it down. And I have heard of GPs writing all sorts of things on their script pads. And that's not a bad way to go about it, really, to put social prescribing into practice, to make it kind of formal. So, How would you define social prescribing? What is social prescribing then?
1: Well, I think social prescribing, it's often referred to as community referral. It really does relate to sort of thinking about a patient in a very holistic way, about recognising the importance of biomedical options, but also beyond the biomedical. And I think that's what's really significant, sort of thinking more broadly about what are the resources and services and supports that already exist in the community that can be sources of referral, in fact.
0: So we're not talking about replacing clinical treatments, we're talking about adding things to clinical treatments that might help those treatments work better.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to to really highlight that, that this is not a replication and we're we're not in any way um, diminishing the importance of medical and psychological interventions.
0: Catherine talked about the need for practitioners to be aware of all the avenues for social prescribing in their local area and showed a colourful but somewhat overwhelming graphic of the possibilities. My panellist, Phoebe holdenson Kamara, is a GP with a special interest in mental health. I asked her how she felt about being expected to know about everything that was available in the community.
2: Yeah, I guess it is a bit um, daunting. Uh because you think about the context in which you work and even within 10-kilometre radius, you sort of think, oh, what are all the things on offer? And I have to say that I probably don't – I can't claim that I know – all the, all the services and all the different community groups that are available in my community.
1: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do know
0: some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know some and you willi- you've got an open mind and you're willing to learn about others. And, you know, interestingly, the people you talk to, your patients or clients, they know about others as well. So gradually you'll build up a database of things that are available for people. And also yeah. the other thing to do is encourage people to find their own community resources. It seems that there's quite a lot going on around the globe in terms of social prescribing, especially in the UK.
1: Over the past couple of years, there have been many systematic reviews of social prescribing, um, all published in the UK. A lot of work has been done, recent reports on the efficacy of social prescribing. Um, So it was really interesting to look to the UK in terms of what they've done. Uh, What was really interesting to me was also to see the wide range of publications that focused on social prescribing broadly but also particular types of social prescribing so articles on community gardening articles on creative bibliotherapy articles on cooking on um different kinds of reading clubs and groups. Um, so the, the you know their array was endless, actually. So mm-hmm. there was lots of publications coming out of the UK.
0: So we're really talking about two models of social prescribing. We're talking about the patient who comes to their GP or their allied health practitioner and has a conversation that draws out some possibilities for them. And we're also talking about a much more structured thing where there is someone that, that the... GP or the allied mental health professional can refer to someone called a link worker who can actually have these conversations with the client or patient and help them find the, the so- particular social prescription that they actually need.
1: Yeah, in Canada, I think, again, they're a little bit you know behind UK, but certainly following suit in terms of Having some particular programs that are rolling out across entire provinces. So, again, I think this is really important because they're not one off little pilots, um, but they're taking it quite seriously and putting a lot of funds behind it. So, for example, in the province of Ontario, they're rolling out um, a a social prescribing program under the rubric of community health centers. And I think this particular initiative is quite interesting because they're really building on the notion of collaborative care and having a number of different community resources um, under one roof. So sort of combining the medical with the social um, in interesting ways. Um, again, in the province of Quebec, rolling out a program on uh, museums on prescription. So offering up GP's tickets for families to attend museums across the, uh, the province. And I think what's interesting in both of these examples is they're, they're very clearly underpinned by research. So again, a great interest in wanting to establish the evidence base, really to explore specifically what works for whom, under what circumstances.
0: It's early days for social prescribing in Australia. But psychologist Dr J.R. Baker runs an organisation called Primary and Community Care Services that's been involved in the development and rollout of two big social prescribing initiatives here.
3: About five years ago, uh, PCCS, or Primary Community Care Services, was a, it was Medicare local. Uh, and We were looking at ways to improve access to services and to support GPs. Uh, so we saw lots of stuff coming across from the UK and we created Plus Social as um, one of the first larger social prescribing programs in Australia. Uh, it was targeted mainly in Sydney North to start uh, for people living with serious mental illness. Um, since then, that Particular program is expanded into Southeast Queensland. Uh, we're really grateful for generous funding from Gold Coast Primary Health Network, which allows GPs to refer into that program as well. Uh, the second program is uh, funded by iCare, and that's through Greater Metro New South Wales, uh, so pretty much Newcastle down to Wollongong and across to the Blue Mountains. Uh, and that's for people with longer term injuries uh, at work uh, who need access to non medical supports. And supports from the community. So there's lots of different examples of those sorts of supports, but lots of people need access to financial counseling, um, need support with adjustment. So parenting might be a new activity for someone who's used to to working throughout the day. Um and then there's a happier side to it as well. Uh, we have cooking groups and social groups and yoga groups and art groups and equine groups. So there's lots of uh activities that are there to get people out of the house and mobilize and moving, which is good both for Uh, People with uh, primary mental health issues as well as the secondary ones who might have, say, a musculoskeletal issue to start with, but they uh, become stuck in the home and uh, things change a bit.
0: So this is an example of a much more formal model that has been set up by you and your organisation, and this is the model that involves a link worker. Dr Kate Gill is an occupational therapist who, amongst many other things, has worked as a link worker on one of JR's programs. I asked her what being a link worker involved.
4: A link worker is effectively linking a person with a community activity or whatever it is that's going to meet that person's needs. So I would meet with the person and do a really holistic and comprehensive assessment in order to look at what are their most urgent needs that need addressing um, and what are potential goals and potential activities or services that we could
0: link that person into in order to improve their quality of life and recovery. As Kate spoke, I couldn't help but wonder if there might be a link worker style role for a practice nurse within a general practice. Just a thought. JR was keen to share feedback from participants in his projects. Comments included feeling more positive, optimistic, and calmer as a result of the social prescribing program, feeling stronger, feeling more capable of managing their pain and their mental health difficulties. Some people talked about having developed a change in their relationship with their illness.
3: There's a lot of evidence so far. we've been gathering around health service utilisation. Um, there's been decreased utilisation of allied health services, of uh, GP services, a reduction in hospitalisations and length of stay for those people who are hospitalised. So there's some tangible sort of benefits as well. Um, mm in terms of service usage?
1: There's been a lot of uh, press more recently on the pervasiveness of loneliness, um, particularly in young people, which I know a lot of my colleagues found quite surprising. Um, and also a, a recent review that was um, really highlighting the, the reduced, um, uh, you know, years of life lost as a result of, of loneliness. So again, I think this is where social prescribing comes in and can play a really important role.
0: I asked Catherine what she thought about some of the papers, particularly one by Liz Bickerdeck and her colleagues from late 2016 in BMJ Open that questioned the value of social prescribing.
1: I think absolutely we have to uh, really critically interrogate um, the work that's been done in social prescribing, look at, you know, where are the areas of challenge, um, what might not be working, you know, for whom doesn't it it, you know, meet meet their needs um, I think with respect to the research evidence though and particularly with respect to this Bickerdijk article um, uh, their main message was that we really need more research to be done we need research that's uh, longitudinal and I would certainly agree with that I think in a lot of the work that's been done um probably the longest follow-up might be 18 months so we need some some really long you know longer term studies and mm-hmm. um, I think one of the um the factors as well as you know many of the samples were relatively small sample sizes etc so again I think it's always sort of being quite critical about the about the data and um sort of really looking at um uh RCTs and and building that up a little bit because I think this article um, only located one RCT at the time.
0: The unexpected appearance of one of Kate's cats on our screens in the webinar prompted me to ask her whether and how animals fitted into the social prescribing model.
4: I remember in another program, which wasn't called social prescribing, but it's along the same lines, you know, we were linking up people to go, they weren't able to um, have an animal of their own because of where they lived. So we'd send them to, we'll you know, refer them to a local animal shelter and they could go and walk the animals and pat the animals. And that was really important. And a group of them were going down to the local shelter and, you know, they're getting their exercise um, and they getting the social connectedness because there was a lot of people around the shelters and then the, with the animals and getting the benefit of the animals without the responsibility of the costs of having to own an animal and not having accommodation where they can have a pet.
0: That's a really good point, Kate. So I think our minds when we think of animals immediately go to the whole companion animal situation. But we really can take advantage of other people's animals as yeah. well in that particular way.
3: There's a lovely uh, program in Brisbane. Uh, I think it's uh, Happy Paws, Happy Hearts. So uh, there's a variety of people who have gone through it, but first responders, veterans, uh, people with a disability. And uh, the idea is you go into a shelter, uh, you train up the animals to make them more adoptable, Uh, And in that process, you get the experience of uh, bonding with the animals and and teaching them skills, but also the joy of seeing them actually find a home from your efforts.
0: Catherine referred to something called the Healthy London Partnership, a report that looked at the benefits of all sorts of social prescribing and pointed out the value of online support groups in this context to some sections of the community. There are some good examples of online support outside of facebook and twitter which i think support like that is of dubious value but the best one that comes to mind the first one that comes to mind in fact is hello sunday morning the support app for people who are having difficulty with managing their alcohol consumption and if as participants you haven't heard of hello sunday morning can i suggest you go and have a look at that Um, it's available through the website and as an app from the app store and I actually find it extremely useful for my patients. So it sounds like to incorporate social prescribing into our clinical work, we need to get to know the people we're working with quite well, know what services and opportunities are available in our community and to have good communication skills so that the people we see can understand the reason for these interventions and are motivated to pursue them. We invited a virtual patient that we called Margaret to come to the webinar to illustrate some of the practical aspects of social prescribing. Margaret is a 63-year-old person who um, was medically retired from the public service five years ago, so at 58, because of... um, bad behaviour, if you like, things like arriving at work after lunch drunk and not getting to work on time and um, conflictual interactions with her boss and her fellow workers. So basically she was very difficult to get on with and she wasn't performing as well as she used to. Margaret lives alone. And her problems include alcohol dependence, benzodiazepine dependence, abuse of over-the-counter drugs. Margaret actually has bipolar disorder that was only recently diagnosed just in the last couple of years, indeed, since she was medically retired. And in fact, Margaret, because of that recent diagnosis, finds it hard to accept the diagnosis and will not comply with the medication. She likes to, to fiddle with her medications herself and adjust them wi- by, with the use of other over-the-counter drugs. It all adds up to lack of stability for Margaret from the point of view of her emotional state. Margaret doesn't have any friends. She's managed to um, become estranged from both her wider family and her two sons and their families. She's full of angst and anger and this comes out in her interpersonal relationships. She's currently full of grief as well for the loss of connections, and the loss of her ambitions and her career as a GP. How are you going to start a conversation with Margaret if you're going to introduce the idea of social prescribing?
2: Sure. So I think I think it is a new idea for a lot of people, and um, they might not be particularly comfortable with um, the GP asking them those questions. So I think it could be helpful to say something like, you know, I wonder if we could talk about some of the other things that might be affecting your depression or that might help with your. Mental health problem, um, so sort of um, something to gently ease them into the conversation, and hopefully they'd give permission for that. Um, and then um, I would ask them, um, in the past, were there any particular activities that you enjoyed? Um, or alternatively, I would ask, um, if you weren't um, mentally unwell at the moment, what sort of activities do you think would be would give your life meaning, or give your um, or give your life? Um, some joy. Uh, and usually people are able to answer one of those two questions in my experience. Mm.
0: Kate, working as a link worker, you have the advantage of people understanding that they're coming to you for social prescribing. Can you give us any hints about how to have these conversations with our patients?
4: Um, well, you know, I'd be explaining what social prescribing is and saying, you know, I'd be undertaking like a really holistic assessment which looks at all areas of her life and then we sort of narrow down goals and look at what activities might be meaningful to her and as an OT we use you know activities very therapeutically so trying to look at what activity she's enjoyed in the past. Um, It mentioned that she was grieving social connectedness um, so and grieving probably you know achievement things so looking at where we might be able to tap into to meet some of those basically recovery
0: goals and wellbeing goals. Step one, of course, is to find out more about Margaret and her life. Margaret, it turns out, wasn't just your regular public servant. She worked in policy analysis and development. So she had a fairly high-powered job within the public service. But she reveals to you in the course of the conversation that she always wanted to be an actress she's actually very interested in world events and politics and philosophy and but she can't find anyone to talk to about those things so she goes to the pub to drink and find usually some young tradesmen to talk to for some reason or other they're there at about four in the afternoon when she likes to go to the pub and much to my distress Margaret takes some of those tradesmen home uh, from time to time, which is perhaps not the best idea. She also reveals that she used to sing in the church choir and that she enjoys watching reality TV. Now, we know a bit more about Margaret. Where does that lead us? Margaret didn't make it easy for us.
2: As a GP, this might not be something that we can tackle in one one consult, um, but you sort of want to explore with her, work alongside with her sort of finding out what what it is that she thinks might interest her now um, and what she thinks might be feasible. What
0: came out of the next bit of the conversation was very interesting and uh, is a window on the kind of person that Margaret is. She... In response to suggestions that she might like to join the local theatre group or the or one of the community choirs that are flourishing in the area, said that she didn't want to be one of the gang. That she wanted to be the star. So she certainly wasn't going to join a choir or become or or a theatre group. So that was the end of that conversation. Um, she. Responded reasonably well to finding a place where she could talk to people about those interests of hers—politics and world events and philosophy—but said it certainly wouldn't be the senior citizens club because they were all too stupid and all too old. So, so she didn't. She didn't make any bones about that. Uh, we talked at length about all of these things, and she had a reason not to do any of the things that we talked about, and. The only thing that made anything twinkle in her eye was when she started talking about her interest in magic. Now, magic is not an area that I know a great deal about what the community resources that are available. So at that point I suggested to her that she go and look on the Meetup sites. site, that's a website that is um, available to you as well, uh, to see if there are any groups around that were interested in magic. Now, JR, I know you know about the Meetup sites. Can you tell us a little bit about them?
3: Sure. Um, So Meetup has a sort of broad range of activities. Um, It's kind of curated by the other members on the website. So it could be anything from uh, playing lawn balls to uh, I've seen ones for uh, vegan cooking groups, um, ice skating. Uh, It could be almost anything, Pokemon Go groups, uh, so people can find ways to connect with other people with similar interests.
0: Margaret came back, and although she hadn't found anything on Meetup that was about magic, what she'd failed to say in the initial consultation was that she also wrote short stories, and she'd actually found a writing group, and she'd actually been to a meeting of the writing group. and found there a man who was interested in magic realism as a literary form and uh, obviously that appealed to her, her a great deal and she's actually considering going back to that group. She made a connection with somebody there, somebody who shared the interest with her and I don't know how long it's going to last, but she now knows where to find the meetup website and how to find things that might be of interest to her, all of which is um, quite a joy. My panelists provided some other examples of successful social prescribing experiences they'd had, including art classes for a woman with chronic pain that eventually led to a new career gym membership with childcare for a new mother with postnatal depression who felt that what she needed was exercise but didn't know how to get it, and the suggestion of playgroup meetings for a recently arrived immigrant mother whose profound social isolation was leading to mood disturbance for her and behavioural disturbance for her child.
2: I think as GPs and allied health professionals, uh, we have a really significant role in Firstly, understanding what their problems are, but also um, helping people to, yeah, to understand and to access mm. Mm. Um, what what is available in our community. Thanks for listening. And before you go, just a reminder about the
0: mental health community of practice, which constitutes a. Really a a fantastic place for us as practitioners in mental health to get support. This is a Black Dog Institute e-mental health initiative. It's an online forum open only to uh, medical practitioners and allied mental health practitioners uh, um, for them to discuss difficulties in clinical practice, research around clinical practice. There's a fortnightly case study discussion, and it's an enriching conversation to be part of. Phoebe, I know that you take part in the, the community of practice. How do you find it?
2: Yeah, look, I really enjoy it and I particularly uh, appreciate having input from different um, specialties. Um, so in particular, there's quite a lot of psychologists and occupational therapists that uh, that make contributions to the case studies and it's really helpful, I think, to get their perspective on, on different mental health problems. So
0: that's Phoebe and I doing a little bit of social prescribing, especially for you. You can join the MPRAC online community of practice for health professionals via the e-mental health in practice page of the black dog institute website that's www.blackdoginstitute.org.au slash mprac that's little e m h p r a c i'll see you there